everyone. <clears throat> it's always good to see you. I, I see many, many um, familiar faces, but also some faces I haven't seen in a while. So it's wonderful. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I see that little wave. Well, I'll uh, invite the bell so we can en enjoy a few minutes of silence and stillness as we come together this morning, or this afternoon, or midday, whatever it is for you. As we sit together, are you aware of your breath? No need to change anything, just you feel the intimacy of your breathing. Do 
you notice this breathing body sitting the weight of your body being offered to gravity so it sits in the chair or a cushion or maybe you're lying down you might feel your feet on the floor or your sit bones as the ground rises up to meet you and you release your body to the ground breathing And as you notice the, just the gentle rhythm of your breath, and the simple embodied groundedness of your sitting, just the simple ground, the noticing itself is your awareness functioning on its own. A breathing body grounded on the earth, awareness functioning on its own. It's quite a miracle, and yet completely ordinary. without giving up the sense of a grounded steadiness in your sitting. When you're with your breath, continuing its, its rhythm, 
If your eyes are closed, allow them to open. So that you can just taste for a moment the presence of the others that you're sitting with. Simply breathing. Simply sitting. Simply present. No need to look at anything particular, just taking in what's in front of you. And if there are people who do not have their cameras on, that's totally fine. We know they're there. There's always those that we don't see, but we know are present. And you might experiment with just allowing your eyes to close again, if, if you want. And just notice if anything is any different in your in your body, your heart or your mind. And this ordinary breathing body resting in gravity, intimately connected with the whole world and these particular people seen and unseen. And without awareness, we listen to the bell. Bow to each other and speak with our verse of the robe to the fullness. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. You know, there's a persistent question that uh, that doesn't seem to go away. And because it doesn't, I keep returning to it over and over. It may be a bit boring. Um, why do we show up? 
every week. Um, and to all the practices that we offer, maybe uh, Zazen in the Zendo or online or a class or uh, all the various things, why do we keep showing up? And this is a question that in some ways we can't really ever answer fully. We, we can't quite you know, nail it down because you know, each moment is different. Each week carries some new kind of version of our story. Every person is unique. Things change and new moments um, come and go. Our lives unfold and weave together. Um, things get fragmented and then we repair them. You know, children are born and the loved ones die. and Life goes on. This is everyday life. And all of those various things call us in, in different ways. It's not something to sort out, but it's a question that we can't ignore. And um, we should keep it close. Like we spoke about last week, actually, the great unanswerable questions at the heart of spiritual practice, like, what is this? <laughs> Who am I? And one of the books which many of you are, are familiar with of uh, the teachings of Nisargadatta Maharaj. He, uh, his teachings, the, the title of the book is, I am that. The response to that question, what, what is this? But it's a, it seems a little strange. So, so what does this startling awareness look like in embodied everyday practice? And that's part of why I wanted to remind us to come back to our embodiment as we're sitting. What really happens when we commit to these practices? Um, and which, as we spoke about last week, they help us get to know a lot about ourselves, but that we also take that kind of extra step. Um, Dogen called it taking the backward step to turn our light inward so that we don't just know about ourselves, we know ourselves in that deeper way. And as I said that, I saw Cassie shake her head and actually, there's a quote that she brought from uh, Bob Rosenbaum's book, um, That Is Not Your Mind, on the Srinagama Sutra, um, last week to uh, practice discussion group. And it's just like three sentences. Um, but once again, I'm, I'm drawing from things that all of you are bringing to me. It's really helping my practice. Thank you very much. <laughs> so here's one of the, the, the teachings that Cassie brought which begins to touch on our, the question that I'm bringing up today, which is, uh, I would frame it as uh, everyday bodhisattva practice. Everyday bodhisattva practice. So here's, here's what she wrote. A central tenet of Soto Zen is that we don't practice to become enlightened. We meditate because it's a natural expression of our fundamental enlightened nature we share with all beings. This is true, but it won't be grounded in the reality of our lives if we don't acknowledge the personal needs that bring us to practice. So that's a nice frame, I think, for this question. Uh, I'm going to read it again, just because it's, it's a very, um, I think that's part why Cassie had extracted it from the, the, the text. A central tenet of Soto Zen are, are our practice. 
<clears throat> is we don't practice to become enlightened. We meditate because it's a natural expression of our fundamental nature. We share with all beings. And although this is true, it's not going to be grounded in the reality of our lives if we don't acknowledge the personal needs that bring us to practice. And this is really so fundamental to um, what arises in inquiry or between any of you as a student and those of us who, who stand in the role of a teacher for a while or, or even with each other in spiritual friendship, um, what, what brings you? Um, What's this about? And how can it be grounded in the reality of our lives? Because otherwise it can seem really abstract, not connected to your actual joys and sorrows and your relationships and your deepest longings, because that's where it's lived out. And you may, and you do, bring your questions all the time. And as you know, as I speak, I bring my questions. But ultimately, together, we take another step and meet the question. And sometimes in everyday, ordinary, good, solid work, like in psychotherapy or something, we bring our questions, I bring my questions. But then in spiritual practice, we meet the questions. This larger space. And what does that step require? What has to fall away? Uh, for that to be the case. We, we uh, lost power. <laughs> Didn't have any internet there for a bit, and we still don't. This is my phone, so we'll see if it can work. But I have to wait <clears throat> for just a moment. because I want to get resettled with you. It's so interesting that I was talking about the, uh, the source and the origin of things. And we have to understand <laughs> who we are and where it comes from. And then I lost everything. It's kind of how it goes, isn't it? And, and how it goes in our life too. You know, you, you, you think you're about to sort things out and then, then you lose everything. I'll read the, the quote that I was going to read from Suzuki Roshi. He said, without knowing the origin of things, we cannot appreciate the result of our life's effort. Our effort must have some meaning and to find the meaning of our effort is to find the original source of our effort. We should not be concerned about the result before we know its origin. When we resume our original nature and make our effort from that base, we'll appreciate the result of our effort every moment. This is how we should appreciate our life. It's, we really, really appreciate things that uh, we easily take for granted, like the internet, like electricity. When we lose them, we understand the source of things. And knowing the origin is somebody somewhere is making this for us so we can have a connection. 
we appreciate our lives. I'm going to skip down to, um, I was going to make some more comments about that, but it's not really necessary. Um, but it did make me ask the question, um, when we resume our original nature and make the effort moment after moment, uh, what's the gift that comes from this? What's the... <clears throat> The greatest gift and when I was in Madison just a few weeks ago at the head student ceremony there was a, a Mary Oliver poem that was brought and I know I use her poems quite a bit but this one I'd, I actually had never heard and it's called what is the greatest gift and that's what we're focusing on today what is the greatest gift um, because my focus today is on everyday bodhisattva practice <clears throat> here's Mary she says what is the greatest gift could it be the world itself, the oceans, the metal arc, the patience of the trees and the wind? Could it be love with its sweet clamor of passion? You have a life that I wonder about more than I wonder about my own. That you have a life courteous and intelligent that I wonder about more than I wonder about my own. That you have a soul, your own, that no one else's, that I wonder about more than I wonder about my own. So that I find my soul clapping its hands more than my own. The best return, the greatest gift is that concern that turns to the to the other but because of our bodhisattva vows we know that we're part of that we're not separate from that it's not self-sacrifice it's, it's a vast inclusion and in those quotes that cassie had brought to me um, earlier last week it was another piece in which uh, bob rosenbaum writes in his book he said whatever our original motivations you know the thing the motivation happens. Our centered goals begin to morph into wider, stranger shapes. Like a movie, turn changes our topology and we enter a different dimension. Instead of feeling of a solitary quest, remember my questions, your questions. Instead of feeling of a solitary quest, seeking a way somewhere in the wilderness we discover the way is also always seeking us something unexpected happens this turn in one of our uh, old poems from the ninth century there's a line that says uh, it's like facing a jewel mirror form and image behold each other you are not it it actually is you you realize there's no separation in this jewel mirror of of the universe that we live in it's reflecting back every facet of reality and it looks like your ordinary life the ordinary life that's the way seeking the way it's what it, this is what it looks like not something otherworldly but it looks like these small squares on zoom which are very fragile we can go away in a moment just like our bodies, 
And sometimes if I'm um, if in speaker view or, or I'm pinned, then I kind of get big on the screen, which is a strange aberration of the truth of the matter because I'm with you. We're all in this together. And what does this look like? Well, you know, the famous story between Joshu coming to his teacher, Nansen, and saying, what, what's the way? And Nansen says, ordinary mind is the way. Everyday bodhisattva practice is the way. He didn't say that part. But... And that this way doesn't belong to figuring things out or knowing or not knowing. He says, he says, knowing is delusion. If you think you have it, then you've made it small in the concept. Not knowing is a blank consciousness. You can't just like, oh, never mind. When you really reach, he says, when you really reach the true way beyond all doubt, you'll find it as vast and boundless as the great empty firmament. So all of this, and because I'm, I'm sitting in a different place, you don't normally see me, I'm upstairs, and our whole house is glass, you can, I can see a long way. I can actually see the end of Oahu. I can see 60 miles away across the ocean. And trees and the wind, just like it was said in the poem that Mary Oliver talked about. And then Aaron is here. I'm in the same room with him, which is unusual too. Uh, so it's, it's personal in the face of someone that I love, just sitting here. Something unexpected happens in the stillness. And what does that look like in everyday practice? Well, I have one more little poem for you to end. From <clears throat> the author's name, Danusha Lamaris, I think it is. It's small, it's, it's a, the title is Small Kindnesses. Because ultimately it comes down in our everyday bodhisattva practices to this. She writes, I've been thinking about the way when you walk down a crowded aisle, people pull in their legs to let you by. Or how strangers say, bless you, when someone sneezes, a leftover from the bubonic plague, which meant don't die, we're saying. And sometimes when you spill lemons from your grocery bag, someone else will help you pick them up. Mostly, we don't want to harm each other. We want to be handed our cup of coffee hot and to say thank you to the person handing it, to smile at them and then for them to smile back. For the waitress to call us honey when she sets down the bowl of clam chowder and for the driver and the red We have so little of each other now. So far from tribe and far, only we change. What if they are the true dwelling of the holy, these fleeting temples we make together when we say, Here, have my feet. Go ahead, you first. And in the midst of all this, uh, what someone might call chaos and mistakes, which is none other than our everyday, ordinary life. Uh, I'd love to meet you. If there's something that this is brought forward. Ben's put his hand up straight away. <laughs> I 
again. Hey, got it Good to see you. You're a, you're a little um, Dalek-y. Could you repeat what you just said, please? I said it. I said it was good to see you. <laughs> ah, okay. Thank oh, you. it's echoing a little bit. It's echoing my side. Uh, and and I think I don't know if tomorrow. Uh, you need to it could mute. Be, I'm could not be sure. my headphones. I'll try anyway. And so, I um <clears throat> I had one observation, um and one question. And one, thank you, if that's okay. Absolutely. So one of my observations um, when you froze um, was how fluid it felt to go from an, a normal, for you to, to disappear and to just go into Zazen. So that was that's that was my yeah. So it and it was it that not shocked me, but it felt fluid and natural to just do that. It didn't seem like there was a problem. So that was my that's my first um, observation. Important. And I and I think my my question maybe links links to 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 my observation, although I'm not quite sure. I was listening to one of your Dharma talks <clears throat> from 2021, I think it was. And you were talking about the spaces in between the mind chatter. And if you're able to not get entwined in the chatter, there are these spaces which you said was like a concept but it's something that i still have not either experienced or i haven't haven't been aware of it um and wondered if you could say a little bit more about what that is and how one might experience more of that Please. i think you did just answer that when a space was made because I disappeared. Yes. You found yourself spontaneously. You didn't get busy filling it. Yes, that's true. The spaces will be there waiting. You don't have to create them. Um, you can't ignore them. You can fill them up. But the space is always and to rest in them, not as a way of, um, uh, I don't mean a space of hiding or withdrawing. And move into it. Just a little moment at the end of the exhale, before the inhale comes back. 
little moments of stillness. It's nothing special around. Yes. And you I feel like I don't see it. Mm. Yeah, that's. that's and you just you think... can experience it. Yeah, and I think because I'm in such a sympathetic state most of the time, I feel like I I miss that, or it's not there, or because yeah, I don't. It, it, it feels like that, but that was that was one of them. My yeah, was that was my observation that. Um, in that particular instance, it felt, yeah, you, I think you're right. That that space was there, and it felt um, it felt very calm. And I, and we don't need to get into it too much, but I know that you're an expert in sports psychology of those times in which someone is endeavoring to do whatever they're trained in a highly skilled way to do, where time changes. Yes. They can see the ball coming toward them as if in slow motion, or they can, you know, those yeah. things you, you understand. It's the same, that's the same path. Right, yes, that flow state. <clears throat> Formula One drivers talk about their ability to be able to visualize the corner before they actually get to the corner. They slow time down. Your mind can't keep. 250 miles an hour, you can't think like that. You've got to let it be something different. But life feels like that too, doesn't it? <clears throat> yeah, it does. And you, you experience it. Yeah, that's good. <clears throat> Thank so you. And, and just the third thing I wanted to, to say a massive thanks to Cassie. Cassie, I think you're amazing. I think you're wonderful. Um, and um, you've really helped me and you've really inspired me um in coming forward and your inquiries so i just wanted to say a big thank you to to you and i hope to get to meet you one day and flint obviously thank you to you too mm -hmm. that would be great <clears throat> i'd love to see you two together <laughs> thank you ben it's so wonderful to see you and see your smile and stepping forward and, and your insights are very very important thank you Thank you. We have Sheila Hugendam. I think that's how you say it. Next. <laughs> Apologies if I've not said that right. <laughs> Sheila Hugendam. Yep. <clears throat> She's getting herself unmuted, I think. There you Thank go. Thank you. Thank you, Maria. That was fine. Okay. That's a really hard one. <laughs> I was saying, um, Earlier, it was good to see everybody and faces I haven't seen in a long time. Yes. And my Sylvia is here. And she said to I me. Know, today, I know, Sylvia. And she said to me today, I said, What can I do, Sylvia? And she said, Go to inquiry. And so here I am. Thank you. So good to see you. I, I'm That's really. With all of our hitches. That's right. <clears throat> I'm really struggling. Flint, I've been really unable to control my anger lately, and I don't know exactly what to do about it. I am in a book club, and we've been together for, you know, 17 years, and we we just finished reading Waking Up to What You Do, Peg, the first time I read it with you, 
it didn't sink in. And this time it sank in even better. And then I think I'm going to read it again. So I've read the section all about anger and I've uh, been reading books and listening to podcasts. I'm trying to, to sit more regularly. And I am going to do group therapy in July and ketamine therapy. And I just, I just don't know what to do. And I wonder if you could help me. I don't know what to do either, of course, but like your XR to you. And I don't know, maybe you have, but have you tempted to turn toward it and get to know it? It's yes. insistent. It's, yes. Because it's not, it wants something that it hasn't gotten yet. And I don't mean out in the world. It's, it's, there's a certain loyalty to these persistent, unpleasant feelings because they're saying, you haven't gotten it yet. You haven't heard me yet. There's something I'm trying to communicate. And of course, I, I don't know what that is, but you have many things in line to help you answer those questions. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and you've um, also uh, disciplined yourself to practices. Um, but the practices are going to be off base if they're trying to make you stop being mad. Mm. Anger usually, I mean, I'm going to make it oversimplified here, but usually means you want somebody or something to change. And I'm sure you could tell us all what that is, you know, if we're going to go into the storyline. But the, it, but also there are times when those some ones or some things don't change. And uh, then we're left with our anger. And sometimes the anger is also, there are layers below it are the other feelings of fear and sadness that it's sometimes easier just to stay with the anger. I'm thinking, you know, this one, because you're a, a good mom, I know. But you know, when a, a two-year-old gets in that enraged state and it's like, I hate you and they're, and you just hold them really tight and they struggle and struggle and do all that. But then what happens eventually? They let go. They let go and everything else is underneath it comes out. But the only way they can do it is to feel safe enough and held tightly enough and that no one's afraid of their anger and they accept it. They don't take it personally. You know, when the kid says, I hate you, you know, you don't think your child actually hates you. They're, they're feeling hateful. What they hate is how much they depend on you. What they hate is how tied to you they know they are, but they can't tolerate. They try to get separate. And so I'm just saying this as a way to give you some more things to sit with. And so how can you be held? tightly enough and safely enough to come to the end of your anger, not so it'll go away, so you'll know what it's pointing to and what else is there. And I'm just sorry that you're caught in it. Mm -hmm. I know it's hard. I feel like you're burning up. Thank you. Thank I have you. Another thing, because I've known you for so long, is Sheila, I have confidence in you. You can do this. 
Thank you. I think it's so nice that Kuan Yin is leaning toward me. It's like, oh. And for those of you that do not know, oh, Rosemary, I'm gonna let's focus on her. Another Kuan Yin coming in. <laughs> Did you want to say something more about that? Oh, I was just going to say that the Sangha in Madison gave me her as a gift. There's, a, there's a more to the story, but. It's it is lovely the way it's leaning towards you. Is, uh, see, she's quite beautiful. Yes, lovely. And a, a beautiful spot for her. Yeah. So, um, Thank you, um, Flynn, for what you've been offering and also for going away and coming back. And <clears throat> so um, my experience was that um, first I, I didn't need to busy myself with something I felt. And, and I just was reading everybody's name. That was very nourishing, actually. And um, I was thinking, wow, this is a, a very holding environment with all these folks and um and then i saw ed because i'm watching and ed ed's um eyes were closed and he was he was meditating and that and i so ed thank you it inspired me to spend the rest of the time sitting and going back to our meditation that we had in the beginning when you came back and said you know i just want to settle with you so you know, <laughs> that's what i felt yeah, it was like, oh, he came back. So there was a little feeling of, oh, well, what if you didn't? Kind of. Yeah, there's that. Because someday that will be the case. Right. So, yeah, I appreciated your taking those moments before you got back into the talk. So thank you for that. It's an opportunity for us to be with that, too. Well, ultimately, that's the point, isn't it? To um, to be together, just to be together is probably enough. And then I fill in the space, you know, talking about things. But if we're not together, you can read a book. Yeah, it's very rich. Yeah, it is. Thank you for your participation in it. Thank you. Yeah, I think that larger feeling of um, disappearance and that return and the unexpectedness of it is, uh, it, it touches on the great matter, you know. Um, and I think that's why I've been kind of on the edge of teariness since I came back. Uh, but also just the, the connection with, uh, with Ben and, and Sheila and, and Rosemary also, you know, does that. And I see Bridget has her hand up, so we'll invite her in. I'm just feeling a tenderness. Hi, Flint. Well, when you left and before you came back, I found myself looking at all the people and, and their faces and then realizing I, some of the names I don't recognize and, um, 
curious about where they are around the world. And But it was so encouraging when you came back and I could see your new location. And I like the Kuan Yin because it's your office tell, often telling us to, to lean into experiences that in the past we would try to change, fix, or reject. And that was very helpful. I, I've, when the second killing happened this last week in Texas, another mass event, I just started weeping. And I, <clears throat> I just don't know what to do with the feelings because, you know, when after Newtown started and all of that, I was trying to write our senators, both of whom are quite conservative and have an A-plus rating with the NRA. And I gave up on one of them pretty quickly because his staff, you know, was, when I called, was rude. The other one, I just never returned my call. So I finally wrote him in a very explicit email about how when I was growing up, you were, you received a letter, you, even if you couldn't reply immediately, you would say, I'm in receipt of your letter of such and such date and, and got the attention of one of Cornyn's staff members. But I don't know where to go with all these feelings. I, I just... There are parts of me that I thought, why can't, what more could our masses do to get the attention of our elected officials to do something about this? You should talk to Sheila, probably. Okay. <laughs> anger. No, just the anger, you know, that you're talking about. Right. Well, I remember the Mothers Against Dark Drivers actually got something done. But well, this... You're probably going to have to look and where you your feelings today come here right and, and okay. the call coming back saying i got your email mm -hmm. i got your message heard right and that's the place to start okay so like so many People, uh, do you remember, this is a little dramatic example, I guess, but remember when Dr. King talked about he could see the promised land, but he didn't think he'd get there? Uh-huh, of course. You okay. do what you can here, but we may not see the result. Okay. You still have to do whatever you can do. Right. And it may be small and it may not be dramatic. Uh, one of my teachers said one time, is like a bucket brigade. You're somewhere along the way. You may not be putting it on the fire, but you're somewhere handing it off to somebody else. And we're doing the best we can. I wish, like you, there was a way for people to all wake up at once and say, let's do something. Mm -hmm. Apparently, that's not going to happen like that. Right. But something can happen mm -hmm. so that we don't lose hope, mm -hmm. we don't lose faith, we don't lose some possibility. And our practice is what helps us be the kind of people who can stay when things are difficult. Um, there are you know, 50 people online. There were only 55 or six when I lost power. Every, most everybody stayed. Right. Yeah, it's like, that's interesting, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And like Ben said, we just automatically, you went into whatever concerns you have, but also we just stayed. That's what's required, just continuous practice. Continuous practice, not knowing if it's gonna help. No feedback that says, yes, you're doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. Be with others. 
pass the bucket, do your best, including every once in a while you have to say, I'm going to have to speak for all of my parts that are totally outraged. I'm going to talk really bad for a little while here. Can you listen? And sometimes you okay. just have to and say, I'm just going to speak for these parts. I don't want to act out of them. I don't want this to be my life, but they need to speak. And sometimes that's mm -hmm. as good as it gets, you know. And then you're like the small child that collapses into the helplessness and the tears. Mm -hmm. And then you come out of it and you take a deep breath and you go on. That's very encouraging because as a real child, we weren't allowed to have anger. So I sort of, my default is to go to the tears, but that sounds great because um, I can find some place to let out a primeval yell and say some pretty strong expletives. I certainly have heard them in the construction field. So right. <laughs> thank and you. It's not, and it's not about practicing violence. That's not the thing. It's just that right. some of those parts in us do need to speak for the frustration and you know what you're doing you're not uh, you know it's not the truth it's just a part that has to express itself and you right. find a safe place or someone it's also useful to have someone who will hear you like you said you don't like it when people don't acknowledge your your emails and your messages same with your these parts they want to know that someone listens and goes yeah i get it okay. not because they can do anything because they want you to do anything but i, I hear you i see how i'm great Right. Thank you. Okay. What a day. Let's invoke the four uh, here. Pot in the center dream. Each moment, I is the only teacher being justice, compassion, only suffering, holding to those thoughts. Each moment, a is the only teacher being justice, compassion's way. Thank you so much, everybody, for, like Flint said, hanging in there and uh, and staying. And thank you so much to Flint for coming back. I was going to say dealing with elements beyond his control, but that suggests that we can we can control everything else. <laughs> anyway, thank you all so much. And if you'd like to offer Dana to Flint, then please do go to appamada.org and you'll find a place to contribute there. And if you'd like to continue the conversation that Flint's begun, please do stay right where you are. Pop yourself into gallery view and I'll join you for a further 30 minutes. <laughs> Thank you all so much.